The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. I want to welcome all of you to the Inn, the first Inn, first Inn of 2012. Yeah. The year's um, the world's ending this year, so that's great. Um, and this is my first in as the director of the inn. I know. That's right. Ryan hasn't left. Um, he's on paternity leave. He's actually in Hawaii right now. I know, ridiculous. So Ryan's still around, but while he's gone, I'm in charge. So, although that's usually the case even when he's here, so it's really not that different. Um, so I'm one of the people on staff here, and we have the privilege of getting to spend time with all of you guys. And ho- over the holidays, I don't know about you, but I ate so much food. It always ends up being just ridiculous amounts of food. And you, you have food with family, and then you see all your friends, you know, back together again after everybody's away at college, and you, you know, you go out to eat. So by the end of the break, I'm just so tired of food. Sherms um, actually said that he, since the end of Christmas break, he's lost four pounds, which was yesterday. So I thought that was impressive. Way to go, Sherms. Four pounds from yesterday to today. So obviously he was having a good time eating over the holidays. It's a lot about food. And so naturally tonight we are going to be talking about food, of course. Seems like we should be all done with it. But we're going to be talking about um, an experience in scripture where um, food is involved. But before we jump into that, I want to review where we've been. Where have we been so far at the end this year um, in Scripture? If you've been here but you can't really remember, or if you haven't been here, the banner behind me gives you a clue. Belong and believe are the things that we talked about fall quarter, and become is what we're going to talk about starting tonight. We've been going through the New Testament book of Luke and some have asked to discover, what does it mean to say I'm a follower of Jesus? And we looked at stories of Jesus coming into the society he came into in Israel and how he kind of flipped everything upside down about who is in the kingdom of God. And we learned that no matter where you're from, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you belong to God. Then we looked at um, some of the book of Acts to discover, okay, if we belong, what do we believe? We looked at God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. um, And we also talked about some big things like grace and love so we can discover what it is that we believe as people who belong. Okay, so here we are. If we know we believe, we kind of belong, we know we have an understanding of what it is we believe in, what does it mean to say, I become? If I'm a follower of Jesus, do I somehow become someone or something different? What we're talking about is transformation. Transformation, not us changing ourselves, but God's transformation in our lives. And essentially what we're talking about is becoming who God has created us to be. That is the journey that we're going to be on. We're going to be looking at stories of Jesus, sermons that he tells, parables, Um, that he gives that give us a better understanding of what it means to become who God's created us to be. One of the things that I did a lot of over break was I listened to a lot of music. And one album I listened to a lot was um, Fleet Foxes, Helplessness Blues. 
Um, and the song Helplessness Blues I listened to oh, quite a bit as well. Um, and I think that you would all agree college is a time when you're asking the question, who am I and who am I becoming, right? This is the, the big question that we have. Um, but we don't often include God in that. So I wanted to play for you just the beginning of Helplessness Blues so you might be able to kind of hear what I was listening to over and over again. We think about the two ends of the spectrum, right? We're, we're this unique individual, a snowflake among snowflakes. And then we think, yeah, but I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. And what struck, what struck me most about this was that it's called Helplessness Blues. And I was thinking, I don't feel helpless in the midst of that. Because I know that God has created me and all of us to be these unique individuals so that we can be a part of something bigger than ourselves. So I really wanted to call up Robin, the lead singer, and be like, it's Jesus, man. But I'm sure he wouldn't appreciate that. But um, as we kind of plunge into this idea of what it means to become, um, I want to stop a minute and pray for our time tonight. Gracious God, we're so grateful that we are not helpless with you in our lives. We're so grateful that you are present with us at this very moment. I pray that um, your word and the words of my mouth would, would be present in all of us in a way that allows us to be transformed by you. Let your spirit fall among us. In your holy name, amen. So transformation is a big word. We might not fully understand it. It's God's work. It's not something that we do, but it's also something we actually participate in as followers of Jesus. The best picture that we have of transformation is the disciples, right? They got a a front row seat to Jesus and what Jesus was doing in the world. And also they got to see what was going on in the fact that they were being transformed as well. So we're going to take a look at um, the disciples tonight and we're going to read from Luke chapter nine. So you don't get bored of hearing my voice. I've asked Austin um, to be the voice of the end tonight. So he's going to read our scripture. So he's going to read from Luke chapter nine, just the first couple of words couple of verses. All right. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them the power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So I like to kind of think of this as the training wheels run, right? Jesus sends out the disciples with power and authority. And I wonder if their reaction was, uh, you're not coming with us. Okay. This is going to be interesting. But this is the first step in becoming for the disciples, right? This is their first step towards becoming who they are. And it's not his exact direction they need, do this and then do this and then do this. What they need to know is that God, Jesus, has given them power and authority to go out. So that is what they take with them. God wants you to become yourself. I know that might sound a little bit too early 90s, self-esteemy, everybody's special, right? You're like, Jenny, I've heard this on Sesame Street a few times. But it's true. In relationship with him, God wants you to become yourself. Because a relationship with the living God is a real relationship. Now, everybody wants a real relationship. That's what we say. All of our relationships, we want them to be real and authentic and genuine. But if we're honest... We don't really want real relationships. 
Because with the relationships we have with our friends or our boyfriend or our girlfriend or our family, what we really want is for them to be who we want them to be. We really want them to do what we want them to do, say what we want them to say. When they don't, we become really frustrated and irritated because they aren't doing what we want. That's not a real relationship. A couple months ago, I read this article in the New York Times that kind of scared me for the future of humanity. But um, So this article was by a researcher who was trying to figure out what is the, how do we react to our iPhones? And this applies to, I think, all smartphones, but iPhones um, is how they did the study. And he wanted to see, like, when it comes to our iPhones, do we um, develop a relationship with them like an addiction, right? Do we become addicted to them like we would to alcohol or drugs or food or gambling or whatever? So we started doing brain imaging in order to, you know, figure out how do people... Um, react to their iPhone. So he showed them pictures of iPhones, and he made sounds that their their iPhone would make um, when it was, you know, close to them. And he did a brain image at the same time, expecting to see um, addiction. And here's what he discovered. Most striking of all was the flurry of activation in the insular cortex of the brain, which is associated with feelings of love and compassion. The subject's brains responded to the sound of their phones as they would respond to the presence or proximity of a girlfriend, boyfriend, or family member. In short, the subjects didn't demonstrate the classic brain-based signs of addiction. Instead, they loved their iPhones. Loved, L-O-V-E, loved. I can see tonight there's going to be a lot of you going home and looking at your iPhone and talking to Siri and saying, we need to talk, right? (laughs) It's not you, it's me, but I think we should break up. But isn't that kind of scary, right? And the reason we don't like real relationships is because we have this thing, right? Hello, lover, that does everything that we want it to do the exact moment that we want it to do it. And when it comes to, like, a boyfriend, I can't, like, swipe him off the screen or hit the mute button like I would want to. But real relationships is about two people having an active will. And uh, what you want in relationship is for the other person to be who they are, to be actively engaged, not who you want them to be. Usually when it comes to our relationship with God, it can be pretty similar, right? We'll maybe have a relationship with God where we say, okay, I'm going to, you know, God is going to be in this box over here. I'm going to shove him in. I'm going to make sure he fits. I'm going to keep him over here. He's not going to be involved in all these other things in my life. And in that relationship, we have an active will, but God has none. Or on the other extreme, we think, okay, so God's the one with the active will, and I don't really have any. We see God as this huge computer, and we plug ourselves in like an eye and everything gets downloaded into us, and we aren't really even actively involved in the relationship. And neither of those is what it looks like to become God's. Our relationship with God is a relationship of two active wills, ours and God's. God doesn't control us or override us like a robot, right? Like, take a step, not take another step. And God is involved in our lives. That is an active, real relationship. And God invites us to become who we are. Become who he created us to be. An active relationship that knows and is confident of God's love and grace and blessings 
And just like Walker shared, an active relationship where we take that love and grace and blessings and we share it with the world around us. That is becoming. And that is what the, that is what the disciples were actively doing when Jesus sent them out in Luke chapter 9. They were experiencing a real relationship and they were experiencing God's transformation as they went out. Now, they come back, and I want to pick up the narrative in Luke chapter 9, um, starting at verse 10. When the apostles apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with them, and they withdrew by themselves in a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are here in a remote place. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go uh, and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So I told you we were going to talk about food. Now, I would imagine the disciples have a lot to tell Jesus when they come back together with him. Like, Jesus, crazy story. There was this runaway donkey, and then the figs got jammed in the olive press. Oh, my gosh, you're not going to believe what happened. So they head to Bethsaida to have what we might call a debrief or retreat. Let's talk about what happened. What are your feelings about what you experienced out there on your own? Spending time in community. But as we often read in the Gospels, the crowd finds Jesus. And they come to him and they want to hear from him. And instead of saying, look, I've got my crew of disciples here. You guys are going to have to go over there. We're going to have to postpone. Jesus is actually present for that crowd. He teaches and he heals them. And in the moment when they are in need, Jesus shows up. Now it becomes obvious after spending hours out there that people are getting a little bit hungry. So the disciples suggest to Jesus what they think It's the most logical, rational thing they can do. Jesus, we need to send everybody out so they can feed themselves. But like he normally does, Jesus is like, no, we're we're not going to do what's expected. And he looks right back at the disciples and he says to them, you give them something to eat. Oh, okay. This This isn't a spiritual statement. This isn't like feed their souls. This is literal. You give them food. And in the original Greek, the you is given added emphasis. Like it's underlined or finger point. You feed them. I would imagine the disciples are like, "Uh, this is impossible. You want us to feed them with what? Five loaves, two fish. I mean, could it be a more insignificant meal? Jesus blesses the food, gives it to the disciples, they hand it out, and over 5,000 people are fed with 12 baskets left over. Simply put, Jesus' love and compassion are on full display in this miracle. He's immediately available to the crowd. Jesus doesn't just care about hungry people. He does something. 
And his followers are motivated to do something too, right? The disciples are handing out food to the people who are hungry. He doesn't hand out tracts. He doesn't say, well, this is when you need to start getting used to fasting, right? Let's start this as a discipline in your lives. He doesn't say, all right, well, suck it up, patient resignation. That's what it means to follow me. He simply feeds. What seems like it's totally insignificant, Jesus makes abundant. Now, where are the disciples in the midst of this, right? We've been looking at the disciples and watching them and talking about what it means to become. Are they sitting back and thinking, all right, let's let Jesus do this one, another miracle, chalk another one up for the big guy? Or are they participating in what is going on, using this as an opportunity to be transformed? As we look at this, I want to look at it through the eyes of the disciples. And I want us to think about what are the challenges that they have, how are they empowered, and what are the roadblocks that they see in this experience that I think we see in our lives as well. The first roadblock is this. The disciples seem to think they don't have everything they need in order to do this. They don't have the the food to feed these people. They don't have the skills in order to do it. Now, when it comes to taking a step in faith, or it comes to serving in some capacity, this is an excuse I hear a lot. You know, I don't. I need to wait until I'm ready, until I have more experience, I'm more spiritual, I'm more knowledgeable. I'm not ready yet. Or when it comes to signing up for a mission trip, I don't. The, the money isn't there. I can't do it now. Or a core group. I don't know enough about the Bible in order to be in a core group. There's always an excuse. I don't have the right gifts, talents, skills, fill in the blank in order to do something. While there may be some things that require specific skill, most of the time, if we waited until we were 100% prepared to do whatever, we would never do anything. Ever. A few years ago, I spent time as a hospital chaplain here in Seattle at Swedish Hospital. And um, going into this experience of being a chaplain, my thinking before I even started was, I am going to suck as a chaplain. Like, there will never be a chaplain as worse, as, worse than I am. Because I am not emotional, I'm not touchy-feely, I'm calm, I'm rational, I'm logical, you know, I'm not very sweet. I don't know what to say in these moments where someone has lost a loved one. I'm making myself sound like a robot, but really I'm a caring person. But this is what I was bringing into this experience of being a chaplain. And um, that's what I went into the experience like. The first few weeks of it, every day was just awful, and I was awful. And I would come into the office after the day and I would take my pager and I would throw it on the ground. I would stomp my foot and I would say, I hate this. Like a three-year-old. But I would do that every day. Finally, after a few weeks, my supervisor, I'm talking to her and I'm telling her, these are all the reasons that I'm terrible chaplain and I suck at this and I shouldn't be allowed in a a patient's room ever again. She looks at me and she says, Janie, shut up and quit acting like a baby. And I was kind of acting like a baby, so I was like, okay. She said, you have a really calm, peaceful temperament. When someone has lost a loved one, like has happened a lot for me, I had an ICU floor, and so I dealt with a lot of death in my experience of being a chaplain. And going up and spending time with a grieving family, she's like, you have the perfect presence. Because they don't want you to talk, they want to talk. They just want someone to listen. That's exactly what you do. 
When you go in and spend a time with a patient who gets emotional, they don't want you to get emotional. They just want you to listen. They want you to not be emotional so they can share their heart and their lives with you. So in, for all extensive purposes, you have the perfect personality to be a chaplain. And most importantly, you lean on your faith because you have no confidence, and that helps you go into every room. And she's right. Before I walked into every single hospital room, I said, God, please be with me. Then I walked in the door. And by the end of that summer, I got a plaque that said, Swedish's greatest chaplain. I'm just kidding. I didn't get a plaque, but <laughs> that would have been awesome. I probably should have got a plaque. I was really good. But... Um, <laughs> Becoming who God created us to be means not being able to do it on our own. Acknowledging we need to rely on Jesus. When Jesus tells the disciples, you feed them, what do they do? They look at what they have. Five loaves, two fish, and then they turn around and look at Jesus. And Jesus shows up in a miraculous way. He provides the disciples what they need in order to serve the needs of the people that are right in front of them. This is the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels, and every single telling is really similar. Jesus and the disciples feed 5,000 people, and he uses what is right in front of him, seven items. But the Christian faith is worth nothing if we can only count to seven. What we glean from these disciples is that we always have to be able to count to eight, five loaves, two fish, and one. When Jesus is there, there is always more. And one is the thing you want to hear if you're a basketball fan, right? When someone shoots a basket and you hear a whistle blown for a foul, you get not only those two points, but you get and one of the free throw. Becoming more who God created us to be is to see that what God gives us can be put into play. What has God put in your hand? Use it. Maybe it's sharing your faith, and you think, well, I don't know enough about Jesus, I don't know enough about the Bible, you know, you have a story of Jesus transforming your life, share that. Because God is going to show up and give you an and one that you need. That is a real relationship, believing that God has equipped us and is transforming us. The second roadblock that the disciples are faced with is limiting what Jesus can do to a really small vision. It reminds me of a dinner buffet, right? We've all been in line for a dinner buffet. We see the table way up there, all the food on it, it's overflowing, and we're thinking, man, that's a long way from where I am in line. If you've gone to the DR with us, you've probably had this experience. We eat um, buffet style in the DR, and the staff always lets the students eat first. And so, like, if we're eating breakfast, we'll stand in line, and the staff will be at the end of the line, and we'll look at breakfast, and we'll see what's up there. Mashed plantains and pineapple. But as the staff's in line, and as you're kind of looking, as the line gets shorter and shorter, you kind of get filled with anxiety. It's not giving me any pineapple. Am I going to get any pineapple? Oh, there's no pineapple. How often do we find ourselves assuming there is only a certain amount in God's kingdom, and then it's scarcity? So we think, okay, well, I'm just going to live with the dregs, right? That's all that I should be able to have in my life. But the opposite is true. God has an abundance that doesn't run out. 
After everyone has eaten, all 5,000 men and even more women and children, there are 12 baskets of food left over. That seems ridiculous how much food is left over. And I would imagine the disciples probably waited until everybody had eaten, and then they went and they were fed themselves. What a perfect metaphor these leftovers are for what it means to feed others and in the process ourselves receive. We are invited to serve out of God's abundance, not scarcity. God's love is unending. It's overflowing. And it's in that same love and through that same love that we know transformation in becoming who God created us to be. So often we come to the table that God has set before us, a table full of abundance. And God says, I want you here. It would be like if that table were set with all our favorite foods, right? All the, oops, sorry. Just apologize to the microphone. So the table is set (laughs) with all our favorite foods from holidays, the holidays, right? All the things we love to eat. And God has set this table and he has said, come and sit and eat from this table. And we come up to it and we think, oh man, this is awesome. I would love to sit at this table and partake of this abundance. But I don't know if I'm supposed to. So I'm used to just kind of sitting on the floor, and I just kind of pick up the crumbs that might fall down from from the table. That's all I need. It's all I need to sustain me because this is what I deserve. This is what I'm worth. Remember how I talked about we put God in a box, and what's involved in that is the fact that we see ourselves in the way we think God sees us. We think, well, if I were God, I would hate me, so that means God probably hates me. But that is not a real relationship. If we have a real relationship with God, we trust that what he says is true. His love is unending, it is overflowing, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness are abundant for us. They can truly transform us into who he has created us to be. We just have to step up to the table. Stop settling for crumbs. You don't have to settle for crumbs. God wants you to not just get by. God wants you to thrive. You have to let God work in your life. And you have to take steps in faith to participate in the transformation of what God is doing. Scripture is filled with images of God setting a banquet before the hungry, satisfying needs with plenty in front of people. So I want to close with this verse from Psalm 107. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and the hungry he fills with good things. Gracious God, we are so grateful for your abundant transformation in our lives. God, we are so thankful that we don't have to settle for crumbs, but that we can be filled by your love and your grace and your mercy. And I pray, Lord, that as we look ahead in our lives, that we would we would desire and we would seek out a real relationship with you a relationship that involves us and you. 
so that we can better, be better able to become who you created us to be. We love you, God. In your holy name, amen.